Life Audio. Hey, hey, everybody. It's Dana Shea, and you're listening to Real Relationship Talk. Friends, I am so happy to have you here today because I think today is probably one of the most important conversations that you can have in your marriage. If you've seen the episode title, we are going to be talking about financial infidelity. Y'all know that we talk about infidelity a lot on this podcast. It is an unfortunate part of many marriages. And today, though, we're talking about how we can be unfaithful in our finances. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Finances. And a lot of times, you all, divorces happen because of this very issue right here. As a matter of fact, finances are the number two reason for divorce in our country. So I thought this was such an important conversation. My guest today is Chad Willardson, and Chad is actually the founder of Pacific Capital. He works with high-income earning entrepreneurs, like eight, nine-figure entrepreneurs, and teaches them how to have financial abundance, how to actually get into the business of wealth planning. Now, you might be thinking, eight and nine figures, Dana, I am so not anywhere near that. And listen, I understand, but the principles that Chad is sharing can really be applied to all of us. And so I want you to sit tight. I want you to listen in, listen closely to what he's going to share. Chad has written several books. Two of them are Stress-Free Money and Smart Not Spoiled. I love that because he's teaching parents how to actually raise smart kids, not spoil kids, not entitled kids, not kids who are used to getting handouts and used to getting everything that they want. But how do we actually teach our children how to be financially responsible? Well, a little spoiler alert here, it starts with us, but I'm not going to give away the episode. I want you to make sure that you listen in because like I said, Chad is dropping all kinds of truth bombs with us today. So I am going to link to all of his um, links. He's active on LinkedIn, Instagram, his website, all of that. Of course, you can find all of that in the show notes, Um, but he's also been featured in many, many places. So he's been featured in Forbes magazine. He's been featured on 
Yahoo Finance, the Wall Street Journal, all the places. So be sure to check out Chad and all that he has to share. And before we actually get into the episode, y'all, I want to read to you our latest podcast review. So, so grateful for this one. This was on March 14th. And uh, this person said, blessed to receive. In my mad dash to find a new podcast that gave me wife advice that I can appreciate, I came across this podcast. I started off with the communication series, which I so desperately needed. Less than three episodes in and I subscribed. I'm now going back and catching up. It is so wonderful to hear godly advice for women in today's world, as well as advice from someone who sounds like me. Someone who recognizes that none of us are perfect and guides us to work at being our best. I like the honesty and straightforwardness as well. I appreciate the blessings and words of wisdom. And sometimes it is a whole word. Somebody hashtag whole word. Thank you, God, for the messages received. Keep doing what you're doing. Much appreciated. Thank you so very much for that super, super sweet review. I love, love, love when you guys write back to me and when you let me know that this podcast is encouraging you, that it's helping you, that it's blessing you, that it's teaching you. That's why I do what I do. So without any further ado, you guys, let's go ahead and get into our conversation today with Chad Willardson. You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Chad, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here today. I'm so excited for this conversation that we're about to jump into. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we were talking just for a second before we started recording about um, what I call the big three, the big three issues and relationships that drive many couples to disconnection and eventually divorce. And that's communication, um, infidelity, and then money issues. And money issues and wealth management and all the things surrounding finances is really your specialty. So before I get into kind of what you do, I want to find out a little bit more of your backstory. Do you have kind of a rags to riches story or have you always just been good with money? (laughs) No, I definitely wasn't. Um, I'm the oldest of four. I have three younger sisters. And um, my, my parents were pretty frugal growing up. Uh, we, we definitely weren't in poverty, but we weren't in wealth either. Just kind of middle of the road. You know, my parents shared a car. I remember we had, you know, one bathroom and there were four of us siblings and sharing a, sharing a bathroom with three sisters is pretty much, you don't have much of a bathroom. So, um, I didn't come from a family that had wealth and resources compared to what my, my wife and I have created for our kids. So it's definitely different. Uh, when I got married, I was 22. My wife was 20 and I was making $6.25 an hour. Wow. And I was taking public transportation to work. We were finishing uh, college. We were college students. So we definitely have grown together from having nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think actually that's a great advantage is getting married when we absolutely had nothing. There, <laughs> There was nothing to speak of. We were students and broke. So... You know, I, I joke that I could vacuum the entire apartment without unplugging the little cord because it was so small. But so that's that's a little bit of my background. We know we have five kids. My oldest is 18 and our youngest is seven. So seven, nine, 13, 16 and 18. 
So, so. you guys have been a little busy there. Yeah, a little yes, busy. Yes, we have all kinds of all kinds of things going on for the kids all the time. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I like about you is that you also give your kids experiences. I was looking through your Instagram. I saw you took your daughter to a Lakers game, and that's a cute little story, how they had, like, two of their best players out, and you were like, they're going to lose. And she was like, no, I pray that they're going to win, and they won. And uh, That's true. Yeah. Yeah, she told, she told me that she was like – because that was her first Laker game. And it was she. I said, you get to pick what we do as a date for your birthday. And she's like, I want to go to a game with you. I was like, great. And we get there and I realize like most of our best players on the Lakers are not playing. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be bad. And she's like, I prayed this morning that for our birthday date that the Lakers would win. And I'm thinking we have no chance to win. And sure enough, they did. And so it's kind of a cool story. Yeah. I'm like, listen, if you want to get a prayer through, you need to go find a kid because kids, That's true. kids have like a direct line. It's crazy. That's it's true. crazy. I love it. Well, you know, you're talking a little bit about um, just these experiences for your kids. I know that you've written a book specifically to parents um, and children, yeah. you know, about raising basically, I'm imagining non-entitled kids, how to teach your kids yeah. how to be smart with money. Do you feel that the way that you grew up, you talked about you guys didn't really grow up with a lot. You didn't really grow up with a little. But do you feel like the way that you grew up propelled you to where you are today? Did you make any kind of like, you know, how we make these little promises to ourselves? Like, well, when I get older, I'm never going to have to want for this or that. Like, did you find yourself doing that growing up? Yeah, a little bit. I don't think it was. I hear those stories sometimes. I can't say that that's completely my story. I, my parents were very generous. Uh, I remember around Christmas time, like we would, we would actually give up some of our own gifts and give gifts to families that really didn't have much at all. Mm -hmm. So generosity and giving and faith and tithing and everything like that was just instilled in me to give. And so my parents taught me that where much is given, much is required. And if you think and give abundantly, then you can create more abundance. And so I think that was more of the mindset there were lots of things I couldn't do that didn't seem like a big deal, but like I couldn't go to some, some sports camps that all my cousins went to. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, is that the motivating factor? Not really, but I, I do get excited knowing that we have a lot of choices and options and we can do a lot of good for people without constraining what we're able to provide for our own family. So um, I, I think the way my parents approached money was being, thoughtful about it. They were frugal, but they were also generous at the same time. So that's, those are principles that I would say for sure carry me and my wife today. I love that. You were talking about couples who a lot of times are struggling in their finances. What would you say are some of the root causes that you've seen as to why couples are struggling with money? Number one, why do people struggle with money in general? I think it's mindset and limitations that we put on ourselves. Yeah. If, if we were forced to create a certain amount of, of income to get by and we were determined, like there's, it's like the mom whose child is stuck under the car and suddenly she has the strength to lift the car up and the kid can walk out. I think it's the same thing with financial, our financial life. If we're forced to, we will. And so sometimes we get complacent. The, the place I see couples struggle is really communication and expectations. They come from very different money backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so what I think is appropriate to spend money on or how much money I think something should cost is probably reflected in my background. And my wife could have a totally different viewpoint. 
And she might think, well, that's spoiling the kids. And I may think, well, no, that's what our kids deserve because I never had that. So I think it's especially when you introduce kids into the family, there can be a lot of misaligned expectations and that causes extra challenges regarding money as a couple. And so alignment and communication goals, transparency, those are things that are just the foundation. If you don't have that, you're already way off track. Right. And I love how, you know, you talk uh, some on your on your website and the things that you do about like, how can couples who are dating um, start to have these conversations? And, you know, I love premarital coaching. I do quite a bit of that. And that's one of the conversations that we always have is what are your financial goals and what are your expectations? Because I've, I've been floored by how many couples never talk about money before they get married. Yeah. You know, and then they get married and it's like, what, what did you, what did you, that's kind of a big part of it, you know? So how do you walk couples through having some of those conversations? Like should couples be couples who are dating? I mean, should they be getting credit checks on each other? Should they be like, get your budget out? Like how, how deep should a couple go in your opinion before they're even married in some of these conversations about money? In, in my opinion, you need to, I guess if you're moving up a level in your commitment, if you're if you're getting engaged or getting married, I, I really feel like you need to have full transparency. I don't see the advantage of keeping secrets. I just don't. I mean, I'm pretty open book anyways. Like I, I overshare on LinkedIn. I just share whatever I'm thinking and it's there. I can't imagine successful couples keeping secrets about credit card debts or student loans or you know, bankruptcy in the past or a business deal that went bad or a lien on the house, like that kind of stuff, it's going to come out eventually. Right. And so if you're looking for honesty and transparency in a relationship, then money cannot be excluded from that. I also think it's a sticky subject where some people think they should have their money completely separated and other couples think they should combine finances. That's a, that's a situation where I've seen you know, it'll make or break a couple if if you guys are not aligned on should we be combining financial things or not. Sometimes that depends on when you meet, what stage of life you're in. Um, so I, I've seen everyone make their own decisions on that. My personal belief, and I've been married 22 years, is just transparency and communication and alignment really matter. Right. And so you may not come from the same background and may not have the same, you may disagree on stuff, but you have to communicate that and be transparent about it. Um, I remember when I was back at Merrill Lynch before I started Pacific Capital, it's probably 2004. And I remember a, um, a couple coming in and they had a lot of money and they had these investment accounts and retirement accounts. And then he asked if he could stay after separately and talk. And then he's like, I, I want to open an account and have this much money in it. It's something you can't talk to my wife about. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. like, this is, this is not a good situation. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a sign of, to me of trustworthiness or faithfulness when you're keeping big money secrets. So I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think so too, you know, and I think that, and again, most of my listeners might not ever need to talk about like a prenup situation. Um, but I think that that is also a sticky subject when you have um, maybe one spouse who they're very good with money or they have 
done their work and they're actually building wealth. And then another spouse who maybe they're struggling with money or they um, don't have necessarily the same outlook on money to be able to go into a marriage and and start your marriage off with the separation or to start your marriage off with like, this is mine and you're not going to yeah. get any, you know, if we ever yeah. divorce, I just think it's, 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 it's like, um, yeah, it's difficult to kind of overcome that and to work on oneness and unity in your marriage when you're starting off with those thoughts. What are, what's your take yeah. on that? Like, do you believe in prenups? Like, do you support them? Like, I think it's a challenge, um, that has to be handled on a case by case basis. And from, from my situation, my experience, I was 22 year old college student. There was nothing to protect. Right. Um, $6. But, yeah. you know, yeah, there's situations where maybe it makes sense, but I, I, I don't know that I can give blanket advice to everyone on that because there may be some circumstances where it makes sense. Maybe where there's kids from different marriages. And, you know, I've seen situations where the kids and grandkids, the spouse passed away after many, many decades of marriage and the kids and grandkids from that family got nothing because the new spouse got everything and was only married for a year or two. And had they put some things in legally in place, they definitely wanted to take care of their kids and grandkids that were part of that first marriage for 35 years. So I don't want to say that it's never appropriate, but I do, it goes back to just like, being aligned and communicating. Uh, I don't think separating, I, I find it hard to think you could be really unified when you're like, well, whose turn is it to pay this bill? And it's going to be you out of your account. And it's no, it's my out of my account. It's like, I can't imagine doing that myself. So it would have to be a real unique situation where I felt that was the right call to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, when, just like you, my husband and I got married super young, I was 18. He was 21. We had nothing, you know, and uh, I joke all the time and I'm like, God did that on purpose because when our marriage really started going through craziness, like we couldn't even afford like to divorce. We're like, we're just going to have to stick it out just because we can't afford to break up. So, uh, so praise God, we are not, we are not in those days anymore. But one of the things I think looking back on my marriage, we didn't have a whole money conversation. It was just kind of something that when you're in love and you're dating and you're about to get married, you're not thinking about like the realities of life. You're thinking about the wedding. You're thinking about stuff that doesn't really matter. And so we definitely had a lot of challenges. Um, I am a saver. I've always been a saver. My husband is extremely generous and a spender. He He's like, you know what, I'll like, he'll give it away, but he'll also spend it. And so that um, caused lots and lots of problems for us because I'm, I'm trying to be the quote responsible one and he's just like spending money like it's candy canes. And so we had a lot, a lot of problems. And so when you're talking about this word alignment, tell us a little bit about like, what do you mean by that? What does alignment in your finances look like? I think there has to be compromise on both ends. Most couples I work with financially, there's one investor saver and there's one spender who really is not paying attention in the meeting and doesn't care. And that's just been my experience for 21 years. That's how it is. Those people attract each other. If you had two spenders, you wouldn't be sitting in my office cause you have, you'd be dead broke. Right. If you had two savers, I mean, maybe you would be, but typically that's the case. And so communicating on goals and alignment, um, I think this, the spender needs to feel unrestrained. Sometimes they feel restricted and they need to have maybe just a certain amount. That's like, Hey, I'm not even going to question you. 
this is the amount we can agree upon that you can give it away. You can blow it every month. Like, but that's the limit. Like it, it stops here. It's not like whatever's left in the account, you can just go to town on. This is the dollar amount. And for the saver investor, it's more like, this is how much I feel like we're making progress if we put this much away every single month. And so that's the need they have is they need to feel like they're putting money away. They're stockpiling for their future. I'm feeling responsible. I'm putting money over here. That's we're not touching this month. And on the other person, they're just like, Hey, I got to have something that's fun. Otherwise we're not just going to save and we're not going to live until we're 70, you know? So like, that's the arguments I hear from people. So I would say putting a number to both of those goals and, and making sure those goals are both met. And it's like, everyone's cup is filled up. Yeah. That's just my simple analogy. No, that's perfect. I love that. You have a term that really intrigued me um, in some of your work and you call it financial infidelity. What is yeah. financial infidelity? Talk to us a little bit about what, what that is, how couples go through that. Yeah, I think um, that's really goes back to that example, of that couple that I worked with two decades ago at Merrill Lynch that had secret private investment accounts and secret credit cards and things that they were hiding. Um, most of the time, if you're hiding fi big financial things, you're doing things you know you wouldn't want your spouse to know about. And I think that just leads to real infidelity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I read a story once about a big time attorney here in Orange County, California, that uh, he was a family law divorce attorney and he ended up getting involved having an affair with one of his clients and he essentially was like supporting another family he basically ended up having two families and neither of them really were aware of the other and the only thing that allowed him to get away with that was having financial infidelity and having secret bank accounts at different financial institutions that neither of them knew about so like he would literally go on a family vacation with one family mm. And then a month later, go on a family vacation with the other family. And uh, it wasn't found out until many, many years later. And I think it like really affected, obviously impacted his trustworthiness, his credibility, his law firm, his family. Like it, it ruined a lot of situations and relationships. And it wouldn't have been possible without that first step of when he said he went to the bank and said, I'm going to create this other secret account at this other bank that no one knows about that my wife and kids don't know about. So I think that's just one of those things that to protect your, your marriage and your faithfulness and fidelity, like just don't do it, mm -hmm. you know, keep things transparent. If you're upset about something, just bring it up, like have the courage to have those conversations and don't go behind your, your partner's back. Several years ago, my husband and I were sitting in our counselor's office. We're huge, you know, proponents of counseling. And uh, the counselor tells Sean, you know, every wife has a secret stash. And I was like, what the world? Like, how does he know that? You know, and it wasn't for me. It wasn't like I was being devious. But I right. think the way I grew up and you talked about this earlier, the family of origin and how you grow up affects you so much. I grew up seeing my mom struggle so much with money. And so I made, and she was a great woman. She was, she would give you the, the shirt off of her back. 
But I saw that she always struggled. And so I think I made these promises to myself, like I'm never going to struggle with money when I grow up, you know? And so even as a stay at home mom, where my husband would give me money to like go buy something, I wouldn't go buy it. I would go put that money in my savings account. And I just kind of built up this stash. And so I think when I'm talking to couples, and I'm sure when you're talking to couples, we're talking about this whole financial infidelity thing. Some couples are like literally devious, but then I think some couples might be like I was just like afraid or maybe have a scarcity mentality and feel yes. like they have to have something on the side just in case this marriage doesn't work out. How do you I think that's that's true? Yeah. So how do you help couples? Question. How do you help couples overcome that? I know we're talking a lot about mindset. So how can they overcome that if they're walking in fear? I think it's it's almost like uh, trauma counseling. Like I've. I feel like most of the work that I do is dealing with money mindsets and what people are struggling with. Now, we have a very niche clientele. It's a very specific high level entrepreneur that we take on as a client, but the principles apply to anyone. Um, it's, it's understanding first and recognizing the money mindsets you were raised with. If your parents fought a lot about money and it was contentious, then you might think money's a bad thing and money causes moms and dads to fight like money was always a bad situation. So therefore, or, or it's scarcity. Like we never had enough, like hurry up and turn off the lights, hurry up and turn off the water. Like we don't have enough. Like, do you think money grows on trees? Do you know how much money I spent on you? And those types of things go through generations mm -hmm. and we grow up and we don't realize it. I have clients who have millions and millions of dollars and they are scared to spend anything because they grew up with that pounded into their head that they do not have enough mm. that they're going to run out and then it doesn't grow on trees. And, and so therefore they have this unhealthy relationship and they think that, well, we don't have enough, you know, it's never going to be enough. And so it's that scarcity or that fear mindset. I don't know how to fix it other than just really at least first acknowledging what you grew up with, what money, how money was talked about in your family and trying to get back to a more healthy relationship as an adult and seeing maybe your blind spots. Like everyone thinks the way they were raised is the way everyone else was raised, but it's not. So the way your parents talked about money is not the same as others. And so where are the blind spots? What, what are things that you used to believe about money that just aren't true? I think that's a great question to ask yourself. And as a couple, um, you know, some people might say a hundred dollars a night at a hotel is an absolute ripoff. And someone else might say, I'm not, I'm not staying anywhere less than a thousand dollars a night at a hotel. Like those people are in two different worlds right. and they could be married to each other. And that's the challenge. So like your expectations and your mindsets have biases, they have blind spots. You just don't, you don't understand maybe where the other person's coming from. And it's going to take some working through that to get alignment. Like uh, my wife does not care about uh, where we stay in hotels. I, I happen to like staying in nice places. I just do, you know, that's something that I, so she'll, there's things that I don't care about and the things that she cares about. So it's like, okay, what, what's really, really important to you. And let's make sure we make a little space for that and, and accomplish each other's goals and fill up each other's needs similar situation with the saver and the spender, mm -hmm. you know, what are things that are, cause if you're just all savings and your husband is just like, this is no fun, right? you know, 
we're not going to have any fun really until we're 65. Like I've heard my, my wife said that years ago. She's like, are we just going to start living when we're retired? Like you just want to keep saving for retirement. And so I think there has to be some balance and some compromise. And it starts with recognizing where we came from. Right. So let's say a couple's money situation is like complete shambles. They're just overwhelmed. They're drowning yeah. in debt. It just seems like they just can't ever get out. Where, where would you recommend that they start? They start by cutting ex unnecessary expenses. I think that's the hardest thing to do, but it's, it's critical. Uh, if you have, if you're in a rowboat and you're sinking, cause there's tons of water going into the rowboat. Like the first thing you have to do is plug the hole. Mm -hmm. And if you don't plug the hole, the water's going to keep going through it. And so people say, I don't have any places I can cut. And then you look and they've got a lot of subscriptions. They have the nicest iPhone they've got. They're paying through the nose on all kinds of things, but in their minds they are like, that's my minimum standard. Well, then you either have to make more money or you have to spend less. There's no way around it. Right. And so couples that are in shambles financially often have made bad decisions in the past, or they they're spending more than they earn. You're upside down. The only way to financial freedom and having that peace of mind and consciousness financially is to spend less than you make. Right. There's no way around it. So keeping up with the Joneses and looking at TikTok and Instagram and just saying, well, they have something, I want something. That's, that's not a good way to live life and make money decisions. Be inspired by those who are doing great, but don't copy them until you can afford it. Mm -hmm. So it, you have to first start by cutting unnecessary expenses and saying, if I started over, what could I get rid of to get ahead? Paying off your high interest credit card debt that's also critical. Um, the compounding interest, I think some interest rates on credit cards right now are close to 30% a year. Mm. So if you just pay minimum payments on that, you're never going to get out of that hole. Right, right. Yeah. You know, you're talking about cutting unnecessary expenses. I know Sean and I did that um, when we realized, you know, we both grew up and I kind of talked about my upbringing a little bit and he grew up um in a, in a single mom household for the majority of his childhood. But his mom wasn't, she didn't really have like the whole scarcity mentality like my, my mom did where she didn't really struggle with money. Um, she had her other struggles, but you know, they weren't like, she bought him a lot of things, but maybe not necessarily like with cash, if I could put it that way. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I think when we got married, for sure, like I said, we didn't really have those conversations. And I remember when I was like, okay, we have got to figure this thing out because we were drowning. And right. you're exactly right, um, Chad, when you were talking about making that list of like, where can we cut? Where can we trim the fat? Is like I, I like to say it. And we thought we can't, like we're already bare bones here. Like there's nothing that we can get out. But when we wrote it down and we were like, okay, how much money do we spend on our cable every month? Right. I don't yep. even watch TV, first of all. So I'm like, I'm, I don't care if we have cable or not. My husband was like, we have to have cable because I got to watch the game, you know? Yep. And, yep. and thankfully, nowadays, you've got all these streaming services and things it's like true. that. We got rid of our cable. Best decision ever. And I think yep. when he was able to see like, oh, we don't need that. Then it was like, then it became a game. Then it started becoming fun. Like, okay, well, what else can we get rid of? Oh, we can get rid of. And you're right. The subscriptions thing is a yeah. big deal because yeah. in these companies, this is how they make their money. Cause I know we forget, we forget that we're subscribed to all these things. You see the little $15 come out of your account every month and you're like, okay, I'm gonna cancel that when I, you know, and you forget to cancel it. 
And so before you know it, you just have money going out of the wazoo for things that you're not even using. So I love the analogy of plugging the rowboat and really making that your first step. Because in my husband's world, he is a hard worker. This man has worked five jobs at one point so I could stay mm -hmm. home. And so his answer to everything was, I'll just go get another job. And I'm like, yeah. but why? <laughs> but like, yeah. but can't we stop spending so much? Like, doesn't that seem like a, a viable option to you? And so I think for some couples, it's getting on that same page. You were talking about alignment, getting on the same page to what is the solution, you know? And then if you can agree on the solution, then make it fun, make it a game, make it a competition as to how you can get yourselves above water. It's a great way to put it. I like yeah. that. Awesome. Well, Chad, I want everybody to um, find out more about you. And I know that you've got three books that you've written. So where is the best place for people to learn more about you and what you do? It's a good question. Um, I'm daily active on LinkedIn and uh, I'm posting a lot of things there. And then my website, chadwillardson.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. This has been such an enriching conversation. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully you've learned a lot from this episode. I know I sure did. And that's really the best kinds of conversations. Like I love to kick at the breeze and chat and just kind of have great conversations. But when we have guests on the show that really drop some real knowledge, which all of them do, I mean, I have the most incredible guests. It just makes me come alive because I'm such a lifelong learner. And I think that all of us should be. We should always be growing, changing, stretching ourselves. And if Chad said anything to you that maybe got under your skin a little bit or made you feel like, my God, I'm so far off where I need to be, I want to just encourage you that we all have to start somewhere. I mean, so many of us have the whole like start it from the bottom. Now I'm here testimonies and maybe you're still on your journey. And I just want to encourage you not to get overwhelmed, not to feel guilty, bad, ashamed for where you are right now. The point is, is that you start, that you start making some mind shift changes, that you start changing some of the habits and practices that you've had in your financial life. So again, be sure to head over to realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 137, because I'm going to link to all of Chad's info, his website, his social media handles, and all of the things. So my friends, I just want to say you all are amazing. We are 137 episodes in. I can hardly believe it. And I could not do any of this, wouldn't want to do any of this without you. So do me a favor. Go ahead and send me a DM on Instagram at Mrs. Dana Shea, that's M-R-S-D-A-N-A-C-H-E, and let me know what is one takeaway that you got from today's episode. So I look forward to hearing from you all, and as we end every episode and saying a good relationship is not one that works, a good relationship is one where you put in the work. We've got some work to do, my friends, so let's get to work. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.